0: Today podcast about individual emergency preparedness, rocking an incredible life and taking charge of your outcomes. My name is Jeff, a.k.a. Dr. D. And in this season, we are going to focus on the professionals who execute the task of emergency management, the people who are influenced by their decisions and a whole bunch of really interesting topical daily contemporary events so sit back grab yourself a beverage and enjoy the episodes so welcome back to the Ottawa studios of Inside My Canoe Head listen today we thought we'd talk about community versus the state kind of like a hockey game but not kind of like two teams that are supposed to be playing together but they're not really confusion reigns sit back grab a beverage we're going to try to navigate our way through it Well, once again, thank you very much for all of your awesome feedback that we're getting at Jeff at Preparedness Labs.ca. The signups for our newsletters over at insidemycanoehead.ca and preparednesslabs.ca. Thanks again. Keep it coming. All your suggestions are wonderfully accepted, even the ones that are colorful. But today we want to talk about community and uh the state response when it comes to Events. So when we have a significant disruption, call it an emergency, call it disaster, whatever piece of nomenclature you want to use, there are two distinct responses. There's the community response and the public sector response. And I'm a champion on my other social media feeds and in the professional research that I do, working hard to integrate these responses together as much as realistically possible. So what actually happens? Well, traditionally what we know from research is your community people are your first responder. Now I know everybody traditionally thinks fire, police, EMS as traditional first responders, and from the public sector, they are the first responders. But the people who first respond to any significant incident are the people in the immediate vicinity, your neighbors, your friends, your family members, your co-workers, and whoever just happens to be, luckily or unluckily, standing next to you when you decide to drive into a light pole. The point is, is that the community is the first responder to any and all incidents that occur. The public sector engages with the resources that they have to capacity. And for a lot of things that occur within our modern communities, yes, absolutely. The public sector has the capacity to have the capability to, but they have the capacity to deal with minor surge events. Let's think about in um, 2018 when uh, the tornadoes went through Ottawa, where I live, in Dunrobin. Lots of devastation, same thing over in Gatineau. The local first responders from the public sector were able to arrive, were able to search uh, and protect the area, seal it off, Uh, Put out any fires that happen and any wounded to be able to load them into ambulances and move them off to local medical facilities. When you elevate that a little bit higher, we have to go back to the 1985 tornadoes in Barrie and the 1987 tornadoes in Edmonton where... You're, in Edmonton, you were talking over 900 injured. I mean, in the city of Ottawa on a good day when everything's working properly, we may have anywhere between 15 and 18 ambulances. So what happens in your community when there's 15 ambulances and there are 900 wounded individuals who need some form of medical intervention? What happens is they do the best they can. They try to triage and they implement their plan, which is what we're going to talk about in a little bit. And then we're going to scale it one step further. Most of you will remember Hurricane Katrina in 2005 and the pictures from the Superdome in downtown um, New Orleans. And then you know the dog poop That was the response from both the local municipality, the state, and the U.S. federal government. And it remains a cornerstone of research in emergency and disaster management about what not to do and a whole bunch of other things. But when you see the fact that you have an overwhelming, significant event that completely and utterly immediately exhausts every single asset that the public sector may have available to assist them, what really happens when the shizzy hits the fizzy and the world goes pear-shaped? Well, it's community bonds. What happens is is communities bond together, People who happen to be in the local vicinity, other either neighbors, workers, or people who just luckily seem to be together when an event occurs, they work very hard together. They naturally work to keep the vulnerable safe. And what you see, and and this is where we see a really cool integration in the research between anthropo- anthropological examination and um, emergency management is you see tribal tendencies come out. You see tribal tendencies of the human animal. Because we keep forgetting, like, we're in this modern, beautiful urban society. But, you know, for the hundreds of thousands of years that human beings have been on this earth, in some form or another, we live tribal. It's only a little blip that we've had these things called big cities and these modern integrated lives. Like, that is absolutely abnormal for a human being to live the way we do so we still have our tribal tendencies so what you see is anthropologists are finding out when they study these large-scale shtf or shizzy hits the fizzy type events is that you'll see humans revert to their tribal tendencies that are still hardwired to each one of us and you create little pockets of human activity and within those human activity we take care we give the people water For example, if we have a few blankets, the sick, the old, and the frail, and the young get them. When we have a little bit of water, it goes to the sick, the young, the frail. You start to see these tribal tendencies emerge. And why that's important is is that it it, it feeds the argument that humans are hardwired to respond to chaos in a collective, helpful way. That's just not through some form of formal training that a government agency of CERT or something else hands out. CERT is an incredible opportunity if you ever get a chance to research it, the acronym CERT, Google it uh, and bring it into your community. It's fantastic. But that actually builds on the human psyche. So what are these government plans and community integration? Well, it's unfortunately very rarely done well. Um, and let me give you an example. We, we, I've said in the beginning that there are two responses when you have a major incident. There is the public sector response and there's a community response. Well, we don't have any integration. And, and I'll use the city of Ottawa, what we have here. We have boards that oversee the operation of conservation authorities, police services board. We have organizations that oversee public health. And basically, it's a platform to have a combination of city councillors and citizens to get together to discuss how these agencies are meeting the needs and the desires of the greater community. And then the counselors are there from the public sector face to try to help uh, these initiatives along and bring forth things that the community is looking for we don't have any board of management or board of oversight of the office of the of emergency management here in ottawa and i'm not saying they're doing a bad job at all not at all it's that we don't have a formal point of integration where the community is brought to the table in not a dictatorial way because a lot of what happens is is when the Offices of emergency management at municipalities and governments get together with the community, it becomes an, ele- an exercise in education. So I'm from the government. I've got a great number of degrees in education. I've got a skill set. I've studied this. I'm here to make you prepared. I'm here to help you be safe. I'm here to build the community resilience. It's a dictatorial, I know, you're the, you're the pupil, and I'm here to educate you attitude. That's not what your community's interested in. Now, don't get me wrong. That experience, save the experience, that education in theory is very important, but your community has no interest whatsoever in being lectured to and the things that they need to do to become more resilient. There's no mechanism in the city where I live to have this done. Now it does exist in a couple of places in Canada. Um, One is the capital regional district in Victoria has had a system for a number of years where they have open forum uh, committee meetings where the public and public community groups get together to talk about emergency management. It's not conducted in an exercise of a presentation, right? The last thing you want emergency management to do is show up with PowerPoint, right? As soon as they show up with PowerPoint, it's time to shut her down, buy them a donut, and wish them a good day, right? We want people to listen. So from a community perspective, if the state does not ask those questions how do they know the priority of the community? Now, what I mean by that is in the public sector in emergency management, they have some very specific plans that are very well rehearsed in most cases, are well-structured, are well-resourced. The the public sector is aware of what they intend to do when a certain set of events occur, how they intend to roll it out, how the chain of command will work, the chain of responsibility, who has authority in these situations, and how they will be resourced and sustained. That is very, very well rehearsed and very well understood. There's no presence from the community in any of that, right? So what if the priority of the public sector emergency management differs from your community? And I'll give you an example. In a small piece of research I did in Ontario, when we looked at communities within Ontario to discuss them with them, the restoration of critical infrastructure. So I've talked about critical infrastructure before. This is the pillars that keep society running. So the transportation pillar, financial, power, water, food distribution, government operations, the internet, energy, telecommunications. If you think of these are like 10 sectors in Canada, so 10 legs to a big table and the city is sits up on the table and these legs underneath the table are really not seen, but they just keep working in the background and they make everything function. When the world goes pear-shaped, it usually occurs that the power goes down and takes down a number of these cascading effect on the remainder of the critical infrastructure. Now, uh, there are two roles for public sector emergency management is the restoration of critical infrastructure and the saving of lives. When they restore critical infrastructure, they have a priority list of what is done in what order, right? Based upon years of research, Uh, their theories, and the decisions of their uh, authority and public figures. What if that doesn't match the population? And in in a very specific rural, sorry, rural to suburban area of um, northern, northwestern Ontario, let's call it, not quite superior but near there without giving away the place, the priority was mobility. The, the people crystal clearly said they want the roads open and mobility restored before power and water is fixed. So residential power fell below mobility. So they wanted their state actors, their public sector responders to be throwing all their surge capacity at opening the roads, not restoring the power this set of counties in Ontario had restoration of residential power as their number one item in their order of critical infrastructure. They weren't working. So they were working really, really hard to do something they thought was really important that conflicted with what the community wanted. That does not generate friends, right? It does not make you look like you're doing a great job in the eyes of the community. Now, this was just one area and it may be different elsewhere. But this is what happens when you ask the community, you conduct the research, and you bring the evidence back to the emergency management agency to say, hey, your plan looks great, I'm sure, but it's not reflective of what your community would like you to execute when something happens, right? So another prime example that came out of the uh, tornadoes that I spoke about in the 80s is this was an early example of where there was hundreds injured. So the locals did what local people do. They packed up the injured, they put them in their personal motor vehicles, and they drove them to... Um, the hospital, because there was no ambulances, right? Some of the ambulances were damaged in the tornado. It, it was just a, a you-know-what show. So people brought them to the hospital. The hospital's plan was to surge forward triage assets into the danger zone, right? Or into the affected area. So the hospital surged medical assets and their surge capacity into the zone where the locals had recently just removed all the injured from. Now, it fixed itself out in a day or so, but it's an example of where two exceptionally well-intentioned groups with the same idea of saving lives have juxtaposed missions and they execute their missions flawlessly, meaning far less people were helped in a timely manner that could have been. So what What facilitates what the community needs? Well, we know about engagement. I've talked about engagement, creating some type of format to where your community. So if you're an emergency manager, how often do you talk to your community groups? Now, all of my research for my PhD was about the integration between municipal emergency management and community groups. So it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, for the municipal emergency manager to speak to the public writ large. To send out a blast information to the population is largely ineffective. The research is pretty solid on that. You're just not going to reach many people if you send out a message to the people of Ottawa from the Office of Emergency Management. If you speak to the social networks that already exist in society, those networks That are based around the community groups, the community organizations, the faith groups, the recreational groups, and the structure, the social infrastructure of your society, you will reach far more people and you'll be far more effective because you'll be passing whatever message is along a trusted pathway. You need to build the bonds with those networks. What a lot of emergency managers do is they attempt to create new networks and new relationships with a whole slew of actors within the society when these networks already exist and it is far more effective and efficient to integrate yourself into the existing networks, not try to superimpose a new network on top. Now what an emergency manager brings is that education in theory that the citizens don't have but you're here to facilitate. So from a community perspective, you should be advocating for your community group, whichever one you belong to, to ask emergency management about the things that concern you. For example, are you looking for guidance in a certain area? Are you looking for first aid training or equipment? I'll give you an idea. Um, some Several areas of the government of New Zealand, uh, almost all of New Zealand, sits on the ring of fire. And they've had a number of earthquakes. The Christchurch earthquakes in 2011, 2012 uh, are a prime example. Google it. You'll learn a whole bunch about what it's like to have an earthquake in a modern society. You look at they understand very very clearly that when earthquakes like that hit happen it can be days and i mean seriously days before any f- traditional public sector first responder or called up military member is able to show up in your neighborhood to do anything but say hello let alone ask any assistance so they realize this and because they live with a very real hazard that becomes a disaster on a rarely regular basis, they invested in their community. So they offered training, CERT training, as I mentioned before, and a whole bunch of things about operating a community within a disaster area, but they offered first aid training. So anybody who wanted first aid training, you got it for free. This is what the city does for you. It creates the course, it brings in the instructors, and it trains everybody in the community who wants first aid for free. They went a step further. They knew a certain set of tools would be required from chainsaws to shovels to picks to everything else. What did they do? They bought them and they positioned them in the community free of charge. So they set the community up for success. Here's your water. Here's some water purification. Um you know, here's some fuel, here's uh, all the equipment you need to clear the roads, to clear branches, to bring down trees. Here's the tape that you need to uh, and spray paint for doors of houses after you've searched them and things along this line. And it's all pre-positioned in a container that's placed somewhere in the neighborhood that, you know, any number of people have access to. So we'll always have access to it. And all the equipment you need to do your best to keep your community alive and going until higher level uh, integration can happen. And that can sometimes be three, four days, even in the middle of a modern city. And that's not successful by the city coming through the front door, kicking down the door saying, we're offering this training because we'd like to set cert up in the neighborhood because we're going to abandon you. People go, what? It's asking the community to say, hey, listen, let's build this relationship. Let's talk about... The important part, and I'll close with this one thing that I say all the time to emergency managers at the municipal level when I work with them, is informed communities are powered, are empowered, they're capable. So if you are not going to come to help them for several days, you need to be brutally honest with the population you serve about your limited capacity. I ran the numbers in the city of Ottawa and bearing in mind that a little left out of battle, some on vacation and surge capacity and shifts, there is literally one one, uh, paramedic for every 5,500 people in this city. That's on a normal day. A surge capacity can bring that down as low as one in 4,000. That's it. That is all that the state capacity has for a big major event. So if you communicate that to the population brutally, honestly, and straightforward, they understand clearly that if a significant incident happens, there won't be any medical assistance coming to help me, there won't be any firefighters coming to help me, and there won't be any police officers coming to help me. So what does my community need? How can emergency management facilitate the community being best positioned to manage through those first day days and potentially week until a surge capacity from outside the municipality is brought to bear? So that's the message doesn't matter what side of the equation you're on. If you are involved in emergency management, understand your community, map those networks, know every network that exists in your city, start your integration into those networks and communicate honestly and fully about the absolute and abject limitations of emergency management and how you can facilitate. If you're on the community side, you need to have a voice in the game through whatever community group you're with, create a community preparedness group and ask to engage the people at your emergency management and talk to them about what you think your community needs, what you think your community needs support in, and then start building that relationship. That's how we're successful in reality and bringing closer together, as I opened with today, those two responses when an event occurs, the community response and the public sector response. We need to integrate and bring these as close together As we can. So, thank you very much for joining us today on Inside My Canoe Head. Drop over to our website, insidemycanoehead.ca. It's all the socials are there. We're later this week, we are launching uh, the social plan for uh, 2023. It was a little delayed due to some technical difficulties that I'll tell you about (laughs) at a future time when I want to open my kimono. But let's be fair, we're going to get out the information, daily integration on social media. Uh, I've got a new computer program that I'm going to be launching some new YouTube short five minute videos with a couple of times a week. So give us your feedback. What topic would you like to hear? What would you like? What guest would you like for me to have on? I've got a couple invitations out right now. We had Perrin Goodyear on fantastic individual. We got a couple of more lined up, stay tuned, make sure that the voices you have and that you're listening to know what they're talking about. And if you appreciate what we do here on Inside Mike and New Head, you can always drop by the website. Drop down to buy me a coffee. Buy me a coffee. Right? Take care. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you next week.